Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been talking about vision. We've been talking about the vision of Sardis Fellowship and why God has our church family here in this community in the year 2023. What is God's vision for us? And so we began talking about that. We started talking about what vision is. And uh, we know vision means to see, but it also is used in the sense of being able to see a future that isn't a yet present reality. Uh, And then be able to make a plan and move towards that future. And so it's the ability to imagine. That's what vision is. And we're asking the question, what can we imagine that God would want to do in and through the life of Sardis Fellowship? We talked about the fact that the mission of the church really doesn't change. It's the same mission basically for every church, at least it should be, is that we are to be about making disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, You've heard us talk about the great commission and the great commission Uh, The great commandment, I should say. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the great commission is to go and make disciples. And Jesus said to those first disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I now commission you to go and make disciples of all nations. So really, the mission of the church isn't going to change too much. Whether you were the original church that, you know, the Apostle Paul era. Or or you're living today, right? In, In this pendulum of time where we find ourselves, the mission doesn't change. But what about the vision? See, the vision of a church can be specific to things which God is calling us to or how we're going to go about the process of making disciples, which is the mission we have. So if you put all this together, you'd say that our mission and our vision is loving God and making disciples, and our vision statement helps us explain how we see that all happening. And so we took this vision statement last week and began to look at the various pieces of it. It simply says that Sardis Fellowship, this local visible community of believers, okay? We're a community to be centered in Christ, empowered by the Spirit to the glory of God as a loving, just, visible, transformative presence in our local community and world. You got that down? You're all good? There's a lot in there, right? Notice that it's in an arrow. And it's because if you were to read this statement and see what's being said there, you realize that Christ has done something in me that now he's wanting to do through me into the community. So it's got this outward flow to it. Whatever it is that Christ has done in me, I'm centered in Christ, empowered by the Spirit. Now it's moving towards being a visible transformative presence in my community. That's who we are as believers in Christ. So we would say that this, this church family, we would see ourselves centered in Christ, empowered by God's Spirit to do what? To live a new life in Christ. Okay, that's what Christ has done for us and that's what he is doing in us and that's what he now wants to do through us because he wants us to love others, care for others, be a just presence in our local community and world. And so it has this flow of what he's done in my life that moves out to others. And if we're doing this, then we will see other people's lives change as well. That's why your life counts. You're on mission for Christ. You might be meeting with a friend and you think I'm just going out, we're having coffee and we're going to be friends, but you're not. You're part of that visible witness. Individually, each and every one of us as we go about our lives to work or to school or to play or wherever it is, we have that vision statement going with us that I, because of the work of Christ in me, am a transformative presence to those around me. We also have it collectively. I mean, the barbecue last night was a bit of a collective 
presence of Sardis Fellowship in our community is we invited neighbors to come out to our little block party barbecue. Um, we already talked about VBS soccer camp earlier in the summer. That too was a presence in our community. And, and so there's a collectiveness to it. There's an understanding that this is a community of believers, the body of Christ. And when we come together to do something, no one person has all the same gifts. God has given us different gifts through his spirit to accomplish the purposes that he has. And when we come together and we're all using those gifts, it's a really amazing testimony to our world that's looking on going, what, what unites you? Well, it's Jesus Christ. And he's the one who's gifted us in order to be able to carry out his mission that he's given to us. Last week, we ended with this statement. I said this is where I want to focus today. It was the statement that says, transformed by the power of God. Um, it's not exactly worded like that in our vision statement. But if you look at the vision statement, you realize that it's really all about transformation. It's about what Christ does in us and through us. It's the goal of why we have this vision statement. God wants to transform your life, and then he invites you to be a conduit of light and love to people around you. That's the idea. Do you see your life like this, though? I mean, do we really? The language of transform seems a little bit lofty. Do I really see that I'm on Christ's mission in this world? Have I ever really even thought about that? Or I'm just going about my life. I'm happy for what he did in my own heart and life, but I'm really not too aware of what he's wanting to do through me to others. I don't really see myself as having a transformative presence in the lives of others around me. I, I, I have never really thought about it like that. Maybe that's your experience. And that's why we're talking about this. As a follower of Jesus, when people see you, they actually see a glimpse of who Christ is in you. And you know, that glimpse can grow depending on our understanding and our willingness to su submit to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. I fear too often that we forget how transformative the work of Christ is. We don't like to use the word because we forget. We forget, forget maybe how deep his salvation has worked in our lives because our personal holiness doesn't feel like it's all that transformed. I don't feel like I'm a new person. I don't feel like I've been able to fix everything that's wrong with me in my life. And, and so it's a word that seems overstated. We might look at that and go, who, me? No, I don't use the word transformed about my life. Or, or maybe it's because whatever once was fresh has grown stale, right? That can happen. Time has gone by and what you once knew in a real fresh way in your life, it just doesn't seem to be so real today. Maybe a bit like a relationship that's lost its emotional connection. Maybe it's because we don't realize fully the path of destruction that we were on and where it would have led to if Christ hadn't intervened in our lives and transformed us. Where would I be today if it wasn't for Christ coming into my life? Do I realize that he has taken me out of the kingdom of darkness and placed me into the kingdom of his son, whom God loves? He's made me a new person. He's put me in the family of God. That's what the Bible says is true of each and every one of us who've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. So biblically speaking, the moment that a person puts their faith in Christ, something transformative takes place in their life. <clears throat> but you might not even know it. Some people have very dramatic testimonies where it's like, Whoa. I mean, God overwhelmed me in that moment. I was crying, I knew for sure, and all that kind of language. And other people were like, I don't know. It didn't happen like that for me. It was maybe a little bit more of a process, but I want you to know something. At the moment that it's true, at the moment that there is sincere faith in your heart to put it in Jesus Christ, something transformative happens. It's called justification. It's a big word. We don't use it much in our English language unless you're in the judicial system. 
where you speak about issues of being justified. Well, you are made right with God in the moment of your faith in Christ. That's what it means. That's what it means to be justified. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. All of us are justified. The freely part is because I can't earn it, I can't buy it. It's happened because Christ has done it for me. Now, as you go through the New Testament, you're going to read about this idea of what Christ has done in us. And he uses this word in Christ a lot, especially in Paul's writings. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And it's really important to understand that this this transformation is because I'm in Christ. The righteousness and perfection that is mine is because I'm in Christ. And there's this great exchange that takes place. It's really a good deal for us, okay? I come to Christ, and I lay at his feet all of who I am, all my sin. And he takes it upon himself at Calvary on the cross. And the great exchange is that the righteousness and perfection of Jesus Christ is then given to me, imputed, placed upon me. The righteousness of Christ is now mine. And he's taken my sin. And so there's this great exchange, which is this transformation. We truly are in that moment transformed by the power of God. But, don't you hit the the but part, you know, sometimes the however. However, we live here on planet Earth. And while justification is the work of God to save us from our sins and to make us right in his presence, sanctification is the process of taking that truth and living it out in the reality of this world. And I think that's why we stumble so much. I think that's why we have a hard time looking at the word transformed and thinking that that's truly me because I I know all too well what it's like to live in this body, in this world. And we struggle to see ourselves really as that work of grace. Maybe, I don't know if you've seen the movie A Bug's Life, one of my favorite, but maybe you feel more like Heimlich who's this caterpillar and he's in process. You know, the wings are coming. And he's looking for his wings and they're not very big yet and the metamorphosis hasn't quite fully happened, right? And maybe that's kind of how you see your life. It's like, yeah, okay, I know what Christ did for me, but you know, there's no wings yet. There's no wings yet, right? I'm still kind of struggling along here. You got to see the movie. One of my favorites. It's a good one. Yoo-hoo, look at me. That's Heimlich. It's a great one. So we looked at the word transform last week and we had one definition which says, which says uh, transform is to make a thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. That's what Christ does in us. Uh, a couple more definitions. So the first one, to make a dramatic tra- uh, change. The second one there is to change a thing into a different thing. Okay, that, that's pretty drastic. Like the, the caterpillar to a butterfly, that's pretty drastic, right? That would be changing a thing into a different thing. Another definition says, implies a major change in form, nature, or function. So I picked up on the word nature in that definition. The first one had the word character. The reason I'm picking up on this is for this reason. I believe what Christ does for us is more than just change our appearance. Oh, I was an unhappy person, now I'm a happy person. I was a bad person, now I'm a good person. No, he does more than that. He changes the very essence of our nature. He says, you no longer are your old self living in the flesh. You are now in Christ. You are a new creation. He has made all things new. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this language of new creation, therefore if anyone is, note the in Christ, the new creation has come, or some versions translate it, I am a new creation, because as an individual, I am part of that new creation. The new creation has come. The new is here. The old has gone. That's what is true of us in Christ. 
And we need to know this because unless we know this, we're not going to believe it. If we don't believe it, we're not going to live it, right? This is the beginning of the source of understanding Christ's work in me that he wants to carry on in my sanctification process, in my living out this truth in my day-to-day life. The New Testament has a lot of stories um, about lives of people being transformed. I'm just going to kind of throw out some that if you've read through your New Testament, probably you're familiar with it. Uh, You might have heard of a name, Mary Magdalene. Uh, She was a follower of Christ of whom seven demons was cast out of her. There are many miracle stories of Jesus, more than one blind man that he healed, more than one paralytic person, but I think of the paralyzed man in particular, the story of him being lowered down through the roof of a house by his friends on a mat, and Jesus not only heals him, he says, your sins are forgiven. That's a life transformed. The woman who had 12 years of bleeding, and she touches Jesus, and she's instantly healed and transformed. Levi and Zacchaeus are tax collectors, and they were the people that, you know, the fringe of society, no one wanted to hang out with them, and Jesus calls them, and they're transformed. The woman at the well, her life was transformed. I think of even the story of the prodigal son. It's a story of transformation, of hitting rock bottom and going, I'm better off to go back and be a servant in my father's household. And he comes back, and they throw the party. It's transformation. The disciples, any one of them. But Peter, we know the best, the most is written about Peter. We can see the transformation that takes place in Peter's life. The apostle Paul. He went from persecuting the church to becoming a church planter who got persecuted and thrown in jail. And we see this transformation, this dramatic change that has taken place. There's one story in particular in the New Testament that I think really encapsulates or captures the idea of this dramatic change. It's the story of a guy who's often referred to as a demoniac. Okay, He's a demon-possessed man with so many demons that they've nicknamed his name Legion because we are many who live within this man. I mean, it's an extreme story. And Jesus travels across the Sea of Galilee to the side where this man lives in the hillside. And while he's there, he encounters this man. What the Bible says about this man is that prior to meeting Jesus, for a long time he had not worn clothes, nor lived in a house, but rather amongst the tombs. Okay, this is pretty dark. Naked guy living in the tombs. He had been chained, but he'd broken his chains. Okay, so the townspeople are freaked out of this guy. They chained him up, but he'd broken his chains. And then he meets Jesus. Jesus frees him of his demons. And then it says of him, the townspeople found the man sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Dressed and in his right mind. This incredible picture of transformation. And you might think, you know, Rod, that's a pretty extreme example to try to relate to us today because we don't see a whole lot of demonic possession in our culture here in Canada today. But let me ask you like, it like this. Is there much difference between an overt case of demonic possession like that story and maybe demonic oppression that we see in our times? Is it that different from a person who drinks themselves to death as an alcoholic? Is it that different from over 2,000 people in British Columbia that overdose each year on drugs? Is it that different from a person who's filled with bitterness and anger and takes it out on those around them, maybe even to the point of committing murder? Is it that different from a person who, within their own home, is so ugly and abusive and maybe even commits horrible physical abuse actions or sexual abuse? Is the story of the... Demoniac that different from people who live that kind of reality? 
or a person who lives out their sexual passions in such a way that it's not in keeping with God's design and they're looking for love and they're looking for love and they tear their heart again and again and again and they lose the relationship maybe of the one person that he loved or committed themselves to. Or maybe it's a person who clicks their way into a pornography addiction that kills their soul. How far off is that from a guy who's been bound by chains living in a tomb? Oh yeah, we don't think of demonic activity in our day the way that we see it in the Bible. And yet the results and the reality is that Satan is alive and well. He's alive and well. And he is a thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And we were somewhere on that path of destruction except for Christ coming into our lives and transforming us by the power of God. I was listening to CBC radio this week. It's an occupational hazard while you're driving. They took away sports radio, so I'm left with CBC. And I was introduced to this man, uh, Makoto Fujimura. I just butchered your name, I apologize. He is uh, an American Japanese artist who's a Christian. And he was speaking at Redeemer College, and they were interviewing him. He happens to be very accomplished in an art form called kunsugi. Kunsugi, ever heard of it? I hadn't. So I had to look it up. Uh, kun means gold and sugi means to mend. So it's to mend with gold. And uh, within their culture, these pieces that maybe have fallen and broken like a teacup or something like that would then be picked up the pieces and re-glued back together and then they would take gold and paint over it and the beauty of the cup in the end often was valued at a higher price than what the original was. And, and so it's a whole art form that this Christian man sees the beauty of God and what he does in each of our lives to mend us. And, and he has a phrase that he uses uh, about us who are in Christ, that God beholds us as beautiful and complete, not broken. Beautiful and complete, not broken. We've been transformed by the power of God. Maybe sometimes we just see the brokenness of the cup and we don't see the beauty of his transformation that is taking place in us. And today I wanted to, for you to hear one story of one man that I've come to know in the last six months. On April 12th, our life group went to Ruth and Naomi's mission to serve a meal. While we were there, we met Brad Smith and I said, hey, I know your wife, Selena Smith. She works in the office for Ruth and Naomi. She actually organized our team coming in that day. And uh, Brad and I hit it off and we were talking and we didn't know it as a life group, but they had been attending a church in Abbotsford, but now lived in Chilliwack and were looking to make a move to a new church. And after kind of meeting our life group and hanging out with us, they came to our church and they came to our life group and they've made Sardis Fellowship their home church. And that's an awesome story. And I've asked Brad if he would come at this time and share his story with our congregation today. So Brad, come on up as you come. Yes, round of applause. Um, Brad, you've been both an inspiration to me and my faith, and you've also been a friend. So thank you, and I do pray for God's blessing on you as you share your heart with us at this time. There you go. Pray with me. I do. Father, I thank you for Brad, and um, he's willing to step out of his comfort zone to do this here today. And as much as it's his story, it's your story. And so we want you to be honored and glorified through it. Give him your strength, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. You're welcome. Good morning, everyone. I'll try not to 
when Rod asked me to share, it was this week, and I'm I'm not gonna lie, I was uh, I was pretty nervous as soon as he asked me. But uh, shortly after that, I, w- I went home and I tried to write write it out, but I ended up going to bed, and then I felt this prompting. I'm usually an early riser, but I had a prompting to get up. It was probably 10 to 3, I think, the next day, and. And I, all these thoughts were racing through my mind of my life, and and I just got up and I began to write. So I'll just share what what happened in my life and and uh, where it's taken me, where he's taken me, I should say. My name is Brad Smith. Um, I was born in a small town back east called Happy Valley Goose Bay on April twenty first, nineteen eighty two. Um, I had a normal childhood, I would think. I grew up hunting, fishing, going to the cabin. I loved to play hockey and became pretty good at it. My mom was the rock of our family and still remains that way. My dad had his struggles with alcohol. So as a kid, I experienced the parties at home, loud music, and a lot of times my mom telling him and his friends to keep it down. We have work and kids have school. My dad was never violent when he was drinking. He was more or less like a a happy drunk and and loved the life of the party. Everybody loved him. He'd spend lots of money and so on and so forth. So, you know, I remember being very disappointed and let down by my dad growing up. Promises that he'd take me somewhere and alcohol and friends would get in the way. So it it left me disappointed and, and let down. And then shortly after that, my sister... My next memory is my sister was born when I was five. So now the attention that I was getting from my mom became less and less, and I started to rebel to get more attention. My sister had an illness when she was born, like when she get a, a common cold or whatever, and this went on until she was 13. She'd get very sick. She'd end up in the hospital, and in the town we lived in, they weren't able to deal with that, so they'd medevac her on a, on an, with an ambulance or or even fly somewhere. So my mom would have to go with her, and she'd end up in the hospital for weeks at a time and lose lots of weight. So it was pretty scary, too, as I, as I remember it. But then, okay, there we go. So which left me with, with babysitters during this time because my dad liked to drink and, and party, and so I spent a lot of time with, with uh, babysitters growing up. I guess you could say I was always craving attention from my dad. When he was sober, which he managed to do for periods of time, I remember watching hockey and baseball, lots of hunting and fishing. I can't say really that I had a terrible upbringing. There was no violence. There was none of that towards me. At 11, my cousin, who I looked up to and was our next-door neighbor, suddenly took his own life one night. He was only 18. It was, very, it was a very uh, confusing time, I remember, and I still remember to this day coming out of my room and seeing his dad, my uncle, sitting at the table crying, and it, it really shook me up a lot. I didn't understand what happened, none of that. The whole family ended up leaving, leaving town and, and never coming back over the shame and, and guilt of, and it was all due to alcohol and all that, all that stuff, but. I don't remember after that, I was at 12, I started to experiment with alcohol. I remember liking the feeling. It, it took away all these thoughts that I had and, and, and things like that. I don't remember many weekends from the age of 13 to 16 without being drunk, 
which led to trouble with the law. Before the age of 16, I had already experienced jail, group homes, and psych wards, and a treatment center. I'll share one experience. Like, I, I remember saying I was good at hockey, so I was playing AAA midget hockey. I was, got in trouble with the law one night. I was on the same plane going to St. John's, Newfoundland, to, a, to the Waterford Hospital, which was a psych ward, as my hockey team was going out for a tournament. So it was pretty embarrassing. And in that, in that psych ward at the time, I was put in a room with a guy, an older man, and he said this to me. He said, Satan is coming for you. And I, I was scared to death. So I phoned my mom the next day, can you get me out of here? And she couldn't. So I had to, I had to go through that. And that became a reality. Like what he said there was, was the truth. Like he was coming after me. I became the talk of the town for all the wrong reasons, my poor mom and dad and sister. At 18, I quit school, which was the year 2000. I missed, I skipped, well, I was held back a couple, couple years because I wasn't really attending school much. But I quit in grade 12 and I moved up here with my dad's youngest brother. I got a job, a car, and continued in my addictions. I became addicted to cocaine within a short period of time. I started out using with my uncle. Weekends would turn into weeks sometimes. In 2006, I, um, the, my girlfriend at the time gave birth to my son Jackson, and, and this was a monumental part in my life. I really wanted to be sober for him. I wanted to get well and be there for him. So I went to a treatment program up here. It was a five week, my work gave me time off. Um, watching him be born was one of the greatest moments of my life. Like, it was the greatest feeling. Everything was going good, but with, within two years, I had walked out on him and his mom and went back to drinking and partying. And then, so where am I here on this? So I eventually, yeah, eventually left, left my son. And then in my, in my addiction, many times, God spared my life been involved in car accidents, from drinking and driving, drug houses, people with guns. The start of my turning point came in 2011. It came through a, tra a tragic, well, getting some really bad news. It came from getting news that my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer and, and only given a year to live. And I flew down with my son, went to the appointments with my mom, and that's what they told him. So... It was pretty, and I was drinking at the time heavily. My mom during that week probably watched my son more than me. I uh, sobered up long enough to bring my dad to a couple appointments because they didn't like driving in St. John's because it was a big town. So I, I did the driving. But then one night after, after another weekend of partying, I came back to BC. One night after another weekend of partying, I ended up waking up in my bathtub. I knew I had been in the tub a long time. The water was cold, it was like 3 a.m. or so. I looked in the mirror and I said, something has to change. And through God's intervention, I ended up in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I must have heard of that program from the program that I went to, the treatment program. I've been to a meet, one meeting prior to that. So I went back, I went back home a couple times during, during my early sobriety there during this year to see my dad. I was attending meetings often. An older guy in AA gave me some simple instructions. Ask God for help in the morning and say thanks to God when you go to bed at night. 
I asked, and, and it was working. I asked my mom to send me a Bible. She did. I tried reading it, but it didn't make much sense. At the time, I started in Genesis. I started reading a few things. I'm like, this is not for me. Like, <laughs> Anyway, my dad passed away in April of 2012. I was able to be there with him. I flew down on the 20th of April. Um, I spent my 30th birthday in the hospital with my dad. And he lasted five days, so I got to spend some quality time there with him. And to the best of my ability, I was able to tell him that I forgave him and I loved him. And then I came back to BC and got pretty down and out. I'm still sober, but at this point, if this is all sobriety has for me, I didn't want it. Like I was miserable, I was depressed, I was upset. I was doing all the things that I was told to do, but nothing was working. So during this period, I met some guys, and they were running a thing called a, a rapid set of steps, which was basically having a really in-depth look at your life from right from start, and then surrendering to God and asking him to show you, you know, your part in all these things. Because I had blamed my whole life on everybody else. Like, it was all someone else's fault why I was the way I was. I never took ownership for anything up to that point. So on the third night of that, of that uh, step group, I was home by myself. I was writing about all the negative things that happened to me. I had excuses for the way I was. God began to show me it was me, like I played a part in everything. So for the first time in my life, I was taking ownership for the way my life was. I was confessing my sins. I ended up in my room on my knees with the Bible that I never read, open, confessing my sins to God. I didn't know, confessing my sins to God, to a God I didn't know at that time, weeping uncontrollably. And then the room got bright. This went on for hours. I woke up the next morning and opened the basement suite of my apartment, and I looked out, and I'm 29 years old, so I've seen grass before, and I've seen the sky before, but this grass was a green I never seen, and a blue I've never seen the sky, and I liked birds all of a sudden. It was like it was all it was like I was given a new set of eyeballs. I don't know what happened to me. I couldn't I couldn't even come up with words for it, but but that was my experience. So at, at that point. That was the beginning of March 2013. God was, a, God was real, not just an idea. He was real. Shortly after this, maybe weeks, I was attending these meetings, and I, met, and I, met an, I knew an older guy there. But this older guy in the meeting, and when I say older, he's not old. He's in his 70s. He, he came up to me, and he says, do you want to, he noticed the change in me, seen, and all I wanted to talk about was God, 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 and he seen the change. And he came up to me and he goes, do you want to get to know this God who has touched your life? And I immediately said yes to him. So I began to go to his house every Tuesday night for about three years. Now, before this started, though, like the thought that Satan was after me. So before this started, I I went really dark for a period of time, like after meeting God. And I ended up back in the psych ward again, like thinking God left me. And this man would show up every day and visit me in the psych ward. And then when I got out, I began to go and do this Bible study with him. It was called The Ten Basic Steps to Christian Maturity by a guy named Bill Bright. So prior to meeting God, I never read read much of anything. 
all of a sudden I had this hunger to know him. At, this, at, at home today, I bet I have read over 200 books, all Christian books. I'm always reading. The most important book is this book, but I have a bunch of Christian authors at home. I ended up getting baptized on Father's Day of, of 2014, June 13th, which was really special to me. It was the year after my dad passed away, and uh, I was giving my life to my Heavenly Father, so it, it meant a lot to me. I began to spend a little bit of time every morning in his word, learning about him. The blessings, the promises that have come to me are too many to even count. Me and my son have a great relationship today. I met my wife, who's here today, Selena, at a church in Abbotsford that, that we were both attending. We married shortly after that, which is a whole other amazing story. She has an amazing story of God's transformation as well. And then prior to meeting her, I think I spent three years single, and all I, all I was doing was I'd go to bed with my Bible, I'd wake up with my Bible. It was, it was, I was in his word constantly, and which I, I now see he was per, preparing me to meet her or preparing me for this life that he's, that he's leading me into. God has delivered me from so much. I was an addict. I'm not anymore. I was addicted to pornography. I'm not anymore. I was a thief. I'm not anymore. You know, when I first got clean and sober, I couldn't even take my son to the parks because I'd see other families there. And the shame and guilt of how, how I was would cause me to say, and he'd be having the most fun. He'd be just having a blast. And here in my own thinking and stuff, I'd end up saying we'd have to leave because of the shame and guilt that, I, that was inside of me. So I was depressed. I'm not anymore. Three years ago, we were put in a position of raising these two boys, Liam and Tristan, who were with us. And it was such a... <sighs> it was such a, such a blessing, you know. They were, they were eight, and, eight and nine at the time, and, and through some, some tragic events they they ended up coming to live with us and uh you know I, I see god's hand in it all you know the things that i missed out on now i get to experience and and make a difference so this all comes for me it's all come through spending a little bit of time with him in his word every day he continues to change me for the good we become who he says we are so, so many scriptures I could read right now, and, and I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures, and then I'm going to get Rod to come back up. But, I mean, his word is, is, is absolutely incredible, as all of you guys know. But this scripture came to me earlier in my, early in my walk. It said, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, throughout my, throughout my walk with him, it took some time before, this is in Luke, it took some time before I began to see the Father in this way because of my life. Now, I don't want to paint a bad picture on my dad either because, you know, before he passed away, um, he used to work at the arena and all the kids loved him. So when I left home, my dad's life began to change too and he was always for the kids. So when they would go out on tournaments, they would want to phone him. I think it died. This one? Yeah. Go 
Hello, there we go. So, you know, they'd, they'd go out on hockey tournaments and they'd win a tournament and the whole team would ask to phone Terry Smith to tell him that they won. So, and they actually named the arena after my dad. So I don't want to paint a bad picture, but in my mind, you know, the way the father seen me had to change. So shortly after, you know, where that first scripture was, I don't even need to go there. It says, it says, do not fear little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, you know, I think for us all today, you know, as we spend time in his word, we'll begin to see that we are his pleasure. Like he takes pleasure in us actually living out his word and making a difference in the lives of others. And it took me a while to get to that point, but, but I'm here now and, and just continuing to learn and grateful for this opportunity to share. And I'm so great to meet this guy here. You have, a, you have an awesome leader in this church. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up at this time to close off our service. But I asked Brad, Brad, why did you choose that song? Other than the obviousness of it. He said, Rod, the words in there where it says, I will send out an army. He said, I don't just see that as God sending out his angels to rescue us. I see that as the body of Christ, that God sends us as his army to help one another. And I thought that was a real beautiful insight because it's true. Transformed by the power of God. What is God offering us? Jesus said that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I think we know that. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Do you know that? Do you believe it? What he offers us today, as Moses said to the nation of Israel, it's true what Jesus offers to us. He said, today I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you may live, you and your children. And that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. Amen. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.